Welcome, uh, uh, audience viewers. It's good to be with you again. Today, I am with an amazing brother by the name of Seth Miller, right? It's Seth A. Miller. I can't, <laughs> can't right. leave that A out, brother. <laughs> Man, it's amazing. Um, there, we're in the uh, Rocking Horse Film Studio with my man, Christopher Michael Melton. Um, what he does in this space is absolutely incredible, man. I'm uh, eternally grateful for the way that he creates a space for us to be heard and to be seen, yes. right? Mm -hmm. But in addition to that, man, he brings people together who are thought leaders uh, in these spaces that we're mm -hmm. in. Absolutely. And he has introduced me to Mr. Miller. And uh, man, sometimes I feel like I'm looking in a mirror. The more I talk to this guy, the, the more amazed I am about what is happening with me and how God continues to bring the right people together at the right time when we are ready. Absolutely. And so today's conversation, I don't know where it's going to go. Mm -hmm. um, I just knew that we had to stop talking off film That's right. and start talking on film. Right. Uh, and so today is going to be a conversation uh, between two men That's right. who just met. That's right. It's going to be hard to believe that we just <laughs> met. Uh, I feel like I've already known you forever. So right. we're going to have a little bit of a dialogue today uh, that might be a little different than what we've seen before. Have you ever heard of literary society? No, I haven't. All right, so I've got a friend. Her name is Dr. Goldie Muhammad. Uh, okay. She's an educator, and she does research on literary societies, in mm -hmm. particular black literary societies of mm -hmm. the uh, late 1800s, okay. early 1900s. Mm -hmm. This was the sort of the, uh, the crux of the, the black intelligentsia of mm. this country. Mm -hmm. First of all, we don't know enough about what black folks were doing were doing during slavery That's right. and then post-slavery. It's all been a blur. As a matter of fact, you'll never hear this stuff in school, mm -hmm. right? You only do it, find it out through study. That's right. And so reading is essential, right? Understanding our history is essential and writing our, our history is essential because ain't nobody else going to tell our story. Absolutely. And so what they would do in literary societies, basically brothers and sisters would get together and they would read the books of the time, the articles, the news of that time, mm -hmm. and they would share their ideas about it. But they also would write, and literally, you'd get together 30, 40 people. Mm -hmm. Somebody would stand, and they would read a piece of literature that they had written, mm -hmm. and then there would be dialogue around it. Nice. Or they would sit around in a circle, and they'd read some writing or some speech of the day mm -hmm. and have dialogue about it. There we go. And so that was the foundation of how we enriched our minds. So much of what we do is a product of how we think. Absolutely. And so I think that our work, right, I've been called to, to, to really limit my actions to the sharing of ideas. And it really is the work of sharing good ideas. As a writer, right, you understand the power of words and the power of thought. That's right. And so we have an opportunity to shape and mold the minds of our people, right? And so I want us to have a little bit of, of that experience today. Absolutely. Right? When I found out that you were a writer uh, and a speaker, I said, man, first of all, I got to buy your book. So I appreciate you bringing one. And I brought one <laughs> of my own to, to share. But I, I want our people who are watching this today to get a little bit of a preview uh, at, of, of what it means to be 
a part of a literary mm -hmm. society. Mm -hmm. I'm a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. And a lot of people don't understand before there was a black fraternity, there was black literary societies. I understand. Where brothers just got together and read and studied. I actually believe that those were also the foundations of historically black colleges yes. and universities. Mm -hmm. Right? I do too. So you 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 start these universities mm -hmm. up and all of a sudden now you've got all of these professors and people come to teach. Mm -hmm. Well, they didn't just become educated, wise folk. These people have been around for years. That's right. They have been cultivated mm -hmm. by thought leaders at that mm -hmm. time. So uh, I want to get into some of this stuff, man. Okay. I want to know what you're writing about. So I've got this little book uh, called um, uh, Character Chess, okay. 10 Character License, uh, Lessons Through the, uh, the Game of Chess. Okay. It's a book that was written uh, from my experiences in East St. Louis. Now, it is designed to teach uh, folks how to play the game of chess. Okay. Right? But what we do is we integrate all of these wonderful life lessons inside of it. I was a struggling reader uh, in elementary school. Okay. Um, still a struggling reader now, but I was a, a, how, always been a slow reader. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't read to as a child, didn't develop that love of reading. Like mm -hmm. a lot of, I hear people talk about, man, they love their voracious readers and all this stuff. And I always admired them because that wasn't my experience. Writing, reading was a chore for me. Mm -hmm. It took me a long time to get the concepts and my mind would drift off and I'd find myself rereading. It took me forever to get through passages. Mm -hmm. And when I read, I didn't hear the voice come off the page until I was much older. There we go. Right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, this is what reading is supposed to be like. Mm -hmm. And so what I've done is I've tried to write in a way that I wanted to read there we go. when I was a young person. Right. And so I've actually got a piece that I want to read to you about my experiences uh, growing up uh, in East St. Louis. It, it, every story is about the game of chess in some way okay. or another. OK. And this comes from uh, a chapter in the book called uh, Flock Together. OK. Now, this is these are all middle school stories. Okay. That's when I ran into the game of chess, man. Sound I learned good. to play chess when I was in middle school and mm -hmm. it was my entire life at Lansdowne uh, Junior High School in okay. East St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And this is a story about a, a, a young man that I met who was not in the chess club. OK. Now. These names have the the true names and identities have been replaced uh, is not to to get me in trouble with folks from East St. Louis. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm going to read this real fast to you. OK, it's called Flock Together. I grew up in some pretty tough areas. I've lived in middle class, lower middle class and economically depressed areas. Mm -hmm. It was in the latter that I came to understand the importance of surrounding yourself with with strong people. Mm -hmm. Merely walking home after school required strategic planning in East St. Louis. It was never wise to walk home alone. Everyone knew almost instinctually that you needed to walk in packs. There was safety in the pack. Traveling alone made you a target to predators, thieves, gangbangers, child molesters, or worse, the Johnson kids. The Johnsons were a family of kids that just liked to fight. They had perfected fighting into an art form. They would separate one kid from the pack and like lions, they would all jump on him and take everything he had, including valuables, <laughs> dignity and self-respect. Mm -hmm. I believe that they had a weekly quota of the number of people they had to beat up, mm -hmm. which they were diligent about meeting. There we go. Any kid walking home alone was an easy target. 
One winter day, I was playing with my battle tank game on my wristwatch. If you didn't grow up in the 80s, you'll have to Google it for the details. But trust me, it was very cool. Well, I was caught up in the game and lagged behind the group. Out of nowhere, smack, I felt a hard, cold pain in the back of my head as water started drowning, running down my back. I had been hit with the snowball. Immediately, I turned around and started using all the curse words that I knew. As I turned, I realized I was face-to-face with Robert Johnson, and he wasn't alone. His brothers were standing behind him. Robert was my age, and he was also in the seventh grade. I knew Robert, but he did not play chess, and he was not in the gifted program. (laughs) So until now, our our paths had never crossed. He was a little guy, but he had all the meanness of a full-blooded Johnson. It seemed as if this was his rites of passage ceremony, and I was his challenge. So there I stood face-to-face with Robert Johnson and three or four of his brothers. We exchanged loud words, then stares, a few pushes, and then within a second, a hundred kids surrounded us. It's amazing how that happens. Lucky for me on this day, I'd been walking with my brother and a group of his friends who were older and bigger than the Johnson kids. They jumped into the fight and defended me from what would surely have been a typical Johnson family beatdown. A funny thing happened that day. Robin and I didn't have a full-blown fight. However, we did help each other. His willingness to fight a bigger kid allowed him to pass the challenge. And my willingness to fight the whole Johnson clan gave me notoriety with hundreds of kids. Mm. Now, here's what's important. So here's the lesson. There are some fights that you can't avoid. Life itself is a tough battle. Every day, we fight with decisions, time, and resources. Sometimes unexpected situations arise and hit you in the head. You may turn around and see a situation that appears to be more than you can handle. So here's my advice to you now. Surround yourself with people who can help you stand face-to-face with those challenges. Walk with people who have your best interests at heart. Invest in relationships with people who have been through some struggles, know how to fight, and can show you a few things. More than that, surround yourself with people who will stand behind you while you engage in the fights of your life. In essence, surround yourself with fighters. There we go. I like that. That's outstanding. I wanted to share that with you today as a a result of a conversation that we had yesterday Mm -hmm. about uh, being in community with the right kind of folk. Correct. Correct. You were starting to tell me about how important it is uh, to be in the right company with people. Absolutely. Talk to me about that. Well, first, I want to say thank you yeah. for, for sharing your space, right, and uh, giving me the opportunity to really engage and us to connect, yeah. right, and, and having our thoughts um, really develop together. It's extremely, extremely important for the simple fact Let's use this for example. Do you like uh, scary movies? Yeah, of course. All right. Let's think of uh, uh, the vampires. Do you know how a vampire can come into your home? You got to invite them. See? Yeah. You have to invite them. So in my mind, we have individuals that are around us that are either A, attracted to our light, 
mm-hmm. or they are vibration seekers and stealers, mm-hmm. soul stealers. But it's our responsibility to do what? Protect our neck <laughs> and or understand that if you invite an individual in your surrounding, mm. understand what they are able to do. Utilize discernment. Truly, we all have it, but we all don't know how to use it. Understand what that is and understand it. Not everyone, like I talk about in my book, not everyone in your boat is rowing. You have to understand that, especially if you know that you want to go somewhere. We cannot attach individuals to the dreams that are yours and expect them to have that same level of of uh, of that power, that 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 gumption to go with you and to go in that direction. So it's very, very important to have a good crew, a good squad with you. Other than that, you're just moving and you look back. No one's behind you. Yeah. And you're just walking. That's right. That's right. I, I love I love that idea, man. You got to protect your neck. Got to. You got to protect your That's neck. That's right. Because some people just don't have your best interest at heart. Absolutely. And as a matter of fact, they're just bloodsuckers. They can't help it. Mm-hmm. They just trying to meet their needs. That's man. right. And so it's your responsibility to surround yourself with the right yes. kind of people. Absolutely. Yeah. What'd you think about that? Is that all right? Did, man, did I, I, I do okay it. with I that can story? Dig it. You know what? Uh, uh, it's so funny you said that because um, as I was growing up, we had... The Johnsons, if you will, too. <laughs> I think every block have the Johnsons, you see. And uh, it, it's so important to know that individuals sometimes do things because it's expected mm. from them, of them to do that. But they don't have to do it. That's that's just where they are. They're still trying to find their way. Sure. You know, so no, that, that, hit, that hit hard, brother. That really did hit hard. But it is very important to make sure that we're moving in the right direction and with the same or with a flow of individuals of like mind, like energy. Yeah. So absolutely. We were talking off camera a little bit about the people who influence our lives and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, fathers in particular Mm -hmm. and how with, with fathers, we, um, we spend so much time trying to figure out, you know, uh, you know, what is a good dad? How does it look, man? I just, I didn't, I didn't grow up with that. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't grow up with a father in my house, man. My mother was my primary parent. We had, we had men around us, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but we, we had a teacher over here that, that, that sort of played a role for us. And then mm-hmm. I had a preacher over here and a, a social worker over here that all played a role in influencing mm-hmm the person that I wanted to be. So I stole pieces of their personalities and their actions, man. Mm -hmm. I, I I was very fortunate that, um, that I had a, I developed a relationship later in life with my biological father. Okay. I grew up with my brother's father as my father, Mm -hmm. right? He didn't live with us, but he was the father who made, he was our financial, he kept us from falling into poverty. Understand. He was a source of of, of revenue for mm-hmm. us. You know what I mean? I do. Uh, Christmas was yeah, we got bikes because of him. That's right. Right. My, I, I, he helped my mother in tough situations. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and we got to spend a little bit of time with him growing up. And I remember, um, you know, we spent I, the first time I got a chance to spend time with him alone. Mm-hmm. 
uh, doing a project. We built a shed in the backyard. Mm-hmm. Man, it was the hardest work I had ever done. We had to mm-hmm. lay the concrete and mm-hmm. build all stuff. And it was, it was, it was, it was a tough, tough job. And I realized that was really a defining moment mm-hmm. for me with him. Mm-hmm. He was um, the father that helped me understand hard work. There we go. You 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 do the hard work. And you benefit from the result. Absolutely. You know, um, and so uh, you would tell me a little bit about the men that influence you in oh, your yeah. life. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about that for a second. And then I want you to gift me with uh, with some uh, something that you can read from the book. OK, no, too easy. So as we were talking, uh, so I'm originally from Detroit. You're from the East East St. Louis. Yes. I'm from East side of Detroit. OK, you see. And my father was not in my life as uh, after the age of two. He's from Ghana. Hmm. Okay, Ghana and West Africa, and that's where he still uh, that's where he still resides. And so my mother would try her best based off of what she had and who she knew to surround me around men that she saw that could help me in different positions. And so as I think back from today, but then her doing the best that she could was the best thing for me. So individuals that society would deem to be uh, unpleasurable individuals, uh, uh, drug dealers or uh, uh, pimps or whatever have you, that's what was around us, okay? Nothing too dramatic and don't get me wrong there was a lot of things that i saw but she was able to utilize her discernment to say this is i see the good in him Mm. so she can see the the good in the pimp she can see the good in the the drug dealer the drug dealer that wasn't pimping her thank goodness and wasn't selling her drugs you Mm. see but she saw the good in them Mm -hmm. and those gentlemen saw the good in me So they invested, and I think that's the most important thing as far as being a man, investing the God in you Mm. into the underdeveloped God in someone else. It's an awareness thing. My life could have been astronomically different, but my mother helped me to decipher between the meat and the fat because people are going to give you everything but you don't have to digest everything. How can you apply those things to where you're going? Everyone has something to teach you. A broke clock is right twice a day. You see? Or at least once. But at the same time, (laughs) what are you going to utilize and not use as an excuse based off of where it is that you want to go? Absolutely. Yeah, so, man, that's what... That's what we have to do. Yes. We have to go and we have to prepare ourselves a meal from all of these That's different right. pieces. Man, they called it gumbo. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, we, oh, yeah. We, we, we've got a history of making mm-hmm. pot meals. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you pull a little bit of corn from over mm-hmm. here, a little okra from over That's here, right. and you make a stew from That's it. right. My mother used to call it goulash. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? She'd mm-hmm. go in that refrigerator and she'd take everything that right. was in there That's and make right. a meal out of it. And then stretch all yeah. week. <laughs> And, that, and right. that's, what, that's what we have to do mm-hmm. so much with our lives. Yes. So it just so happens that you've got a book with a similar theme. <laughs> this is crazy, man. I'm flipping through your book. You mm-hmm. open up with a, a, with a poem. Mm-hmm. 
If that's right by Rudyard Kipling. That's right. I open up with a poem. That's right. If by Rudyard Kipling. What is it about that poem that you that you chose it to start your book out with? When I heard the poem, it spoke to me as a man. Mm. I had to realize that there was a desire that I had deep inside of me for my father to speak those words, you see. However, since I could not go back in time to fix that, I do have the ability to give to my son those words. So again, it goes back to excuses. In order to change, and I don't believe in necessarily the generational curses, I think I believe in generational habits. So how do I create a new habit? So when I saw this poem or heard it, I said, oh, this is outstanding. Let me be to mine what was not given to me. And that's how I wanted to lead it off. Absolutely. Give us some. Read okay. us a little piece from that book. if you. Okay. Will. So again, the book is called The Black Collar Mindset, The Art of Strategic Thinking. I took the things that I've learned from the east side of Detroit to being in the military, right? Retiring after 20 years, 21 years of the military and putting things together to help individuals to understand that you can have whatever it is that you want, but it has to be done the right way. And you have to be honest about yourself. And one thing that I will uh, say that has been most monumental is being able to take lessons from the smallest or insignificant things that we think are insignificant, but it's lessons in that. So I'm going to read what I'm going to read from my book is the plastic plant. As you can tell, we got plants around us, right? Mm -hmm. The plastic plants. And so I'm going to read this to you and I'm sure you can, you'll be able to pick up what I'm putting down. So the plastic plant, there was a time when my daughter was playing around in my man cave. First of all, keep out. It's for men, right? Manly things are everywhere. Sports, memorabilia, go Detroit Lions. You know it. That's right. By the way, cigars, alcohol, and other things that says man cave. However, when you have a princess in your house, that's her domain. Back to the story. I saw my daughter wanting to pour water in a plant that was over in a corner. Keep in mind, this is in my basement. So the only type of plant that I think of that would look nice happen to be, and that would happen to have low maintenance is a beautiful looking rubber plant. But it was plastic. However, at the age of four, she felt that all plants needed water based on what she learned. That's when it dawned on me. What is she doing? So I had to understand that at that age, she's suitable of thinking that way. However, at my age, that is the craziest thing possible. So that brought me to this point. Why would she, I said, excuse me, why would you water a plastic plant? Keep this in mind. We do it all the time. We pour into things 
and to people who aren't really real. That's not what that, excuse me, that's not how you're supposed to waste your time or spend your time or our valuable water or valuable knowledge or our energy. I understand we've all done it at some point of our time or some time or aspect of our life. The question is, why would you continue to do it? Think of a person that you may know, that you may ask for, adv- uh, ask for advice, ask you for input, and you hate to see them in a particular situation, but you feel as though you must pour into them to give them the best advice possible to help guide them to be a better, in a better position. Some people like to complain and they want to stay in that realm. That's where the whole phrase misery loves company comes from. And some individuals love to hear their voice and desire to waddle in whatever situation that nine times out of 10, they put themselves in and refuse to get out of. So I ask you, why are you watering a plastic plant? And what type of plant are you watering? Nothing is going to come from watering a plastic plant. Alternatively, the person will only change when they choose to. If you want a different result, you must put a separate action into place. And it's okay. It's okay. We've all fallen victim to this at some point of our lives. However, one day you will ask, or you will have to ask yourself, is it worth it? Keep this in mind. We waste money all the time on frivolous things that are that's natural. We can make that money back if we're smart. But what you can't take back is the most valuable resource that we talked about known to man is based on the time that time. you put into something mm-hmm. would determine the outcome. So again, I ask you, how many plastic plants you have in your life that you are watering and why. So at the end, my wrap up is this. When you understand the value of your time and the resources and wealth that times gives you that time gives you, you'll not only be running away from the crowd, you will be running away from distractions. When you start to analyze the time and energy you put into things that doesn't matter, sooner or later you will get tired of wasting your hard earning time on something that isn't making your life or someone else's life better. And then I have an accountability piece where list three things you do every day that is value added. Then list three people in your life who are helping you to grow and why. So hearing that from my learning that from my daughter at the age of four, (laughs) It came to be that. I uh, I, I love that, man. Mm-hmm. Teach kids to teach us everything yes. we need to know. Mm-hmm. Everything they need to know. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm i convicted by that, man. The um, I hate plastic plants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As I call this the imitation of life. That's right. And I never thought of plants as people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the idea that we are, we are, um, we are spending so much time investing uh, our resources in 
people that may never grow. Come on. That don't that, even want to grow. Man, that's, 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 that's terrible. As a social worker, mm-hmm. man, that's hard for me to, Come on, to no. think, man, that you could be wasting your resources yes. on folks that never grow. Yes. But now that I think about it, man, that might be right. My wife and I, we'll drive and you'll pull up on, on an intersection and you'll have folks uh, with signs. That's right. Say, you know, uh, hungry, need food, mm-hmm. you know, can you spare a dollar or two? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I... I always tell my wife, we're not going to give these people money. We're mm-hmm. not going to give them money. Mm-hmm. If you want to help, and they say they're hungry, give them some food. Give them some food. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, we're not. We're going to put them in the car, mm-hmm. take them to get food, mm-hmm. because I happen to know that most folks that are living on the street typically, like more likely than not, have an addiction problem. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so you're feeding an addiction. That's right. Your money is not going towards food. Mm-hmm. If there's one thing abundantly available in St. Louis, it's food mm-hmm. for the homeless. That's right. We don't have enough shelter, mm-hmm. right? But we got enough food, mm-hmm. right? And folks typically know where to get food, especially downtown. They know where the outlets for food Absolutely. are. Absolutely. Right? And so we had this, this fight. She says, I'm not responsible for what they do with the money. I'm just responsible for giving it to them. Mm. And I say, if you want to help people, then you got to really help them. Mm. She watering a a rubber plant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She's watering a rubber plant. You know, it's funny that brother, us having these conversations, it's helping me to realize certain conversations me and my wife had in the same situation. We saw a homeless gentleman same sign, mm-hmm. and we drove by him. She had in her mind, you know what? I'm not going to give him money because we already had that conversation. Uh-huh. And I talked to her about that. Say, hey, listen, in Detroit, it's not just Detroit; it's everywhere you go. Sure. Don't feed into that. But if you do want to help, help. So what she did was, when we went back home, she made a sandwich and uh, fruit uh-huh. and all of this uh-huh. and, and put it in the in yeah. a paper bag. And so when we headed back out, same guy was out there. She said, hey, slow down. I want to give him this bag. I said, okay. Slow down. She gave him the bag. The gentleman opened up the bag, looked around it, rolled it back up, put it down, and picked back up his sign. And so Mm. my wife was instantly upset. I said, wait a minute. What are you doing? Why are you mad? She says, well, he looked at it like he wasn't (laughs) wasn't really hungry. I said, hey, hold on. You've done your job when you mm. felt the need to give. That's right. Your responsibility is not to watch that seed grow into what it mm. needs to be. That's mm. not your job. That's not your mission. If you do one thing, let it continue. You may not have to be there to watch it, you know, fertilize and every. Yeah. Someone else may have to come and water it. Or you don't know, this person may be stacking up for a couple of days sure. or the week. Uh-huh. So you can't take it personal. Once you listen to uh, my opinion is that this is God connecting to you, talking to you. Why don't you make him a sandwich? Once you do that, that's it. Anything after that is ego. Mm. If you have to sit there and watch him and you want to, you see, you want the accolades, if you will. That's right. I did something great. No, you did something great after you made the sandwich and you gave it to him. You gave. That's it. So your daughter Mm -hmm. waters plants. There you go. That's who she is. That's who she is. I water plants. (laughs) 
Hey, hey, it's not my fault if you're not real. That's right. I'm real. That's right. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And so, and there it is. And so, we're going to marry both of those up. <laughs> if you're doing what you're supposed to do, uh-huh. based off of what you know, mm. then that's it. But now, when you get another level of understanding, now you're going to understand that water is precious. Mm. That water is precious. So, I need to be cognizant of where I'm pouring my water. Because am I able to receive water when I'm thirsty from this? Pl- what is a plastic plant going to produce? Well, see that that see that's the that's the challenge. You got two different thoughts see, here. Exactly. Right? Yeah. The, the idea is, uh, William Jenkins says it's hard to it's hard to help people that you need. That's right. Mm-hmm. Right. You can't mm-hmm. you you can't need the people that you're helping. That's right. Right. That's so right. You need to be very clear about what God has assigned you to do. That's right. And just do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Quite mm-hmm. often, mm-hmm. your blessings don't come from the people that you bless. There you go. There you go. But you have to know that. You got to know that. You see, you can't go to that source uh-huh. expecting. Expecting. And, and I think that's what our problem is. All the expectations that get you every time. Every time. And then it hurts you. It hurts you because that's your ego. Mm. You see, mm. your ego is expl- is telling you, well, I did all of that. They owe me. They, they owe, owe no, you they owe nothing. Nothing. <laughs> they don't owe you nothing. Because if you did it from the right place, yes. you did that for you. And yeah. it was for you to Seth, do that. This is my whole thing. One of my core f- beliefs is that we are a vessel for blessing. That's We're it. not the source of it at all. There you go. It just flows through us That's to it. others. That's it didn't it. come from me. Anyway, it ain't mine. <laughs> I have, I have, I, I look back at this book, man, mm-hmm. and I am amazed at it. So I, I was like, I don't even know where it came from. It's hard to believe it came from me. That's right. It's easier to believe that it came through me. Absolutely. Right. To to really just be a blessing, a resource for other people. Absolutely. And so while, man, I've I've sold hundreds. Mm-hmm. hundreds of this these books i've given away mm-hmm. thousands of them absolutely mm-hmm. right and never missed a dime that's it. right i don't even know where the resources came mm-hmm. to give away this book as a matter of fact the first thousand books i had printed mm-hmm. i gave away 600 of them there 600 easy six or seven hundred of them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i turned around and said wow i gave away the majority of the books and never thought twice about it there you go the ones that i sold made it possible to give away the others there you go that's it and so that is that's so core to who i am Mm -hmm. and god blesses us to be a blessing to other people absolutely as long as we focus on doing that Mm -hmm. that is our work you know i heard something the other day that stated god walks with you or ahead of you when you are connected to the source. He's walking with you or ahead of you. So isn't you don't have nothing to worry about. It's mm. already taken care of. What are you tripping about? Yeah. Because anything that is fear-based is not faith-based. That means you don't really believe in what you think you believe yeah. and what you want people to believe. Ooh. You don't believe that in yourself. So to be a no-kidding vessel is to let it run through you and say, hey, this wasn't meant for me. I don't need to hear myself think or talk. I need to give this to someone else that just might need that next bump. 
Mm-hmm. Right. You talked about the the way that you read. And as you were growing up, my mother, I'm t- and this full disclosure, mm-hmm. my mother wanted me to read the Bible. And to me, it was so daunting because of the art thousand and the shout oh, yeah. and then King who, James. King Oh my goodness. And who begot <laughs> who and who is related to who? I'm like, wait a minute. What's the point? So she said, listen, I want you to start reading. I want you to read more. I want you to read more. And it didn't, I couldn't dig it. You know what she did? She ended up introducing me to an author, Donald Goins. Hey, now, I read the book. My first Donald Goins books was uh, Dope Fiend. Uh-huh. You see? And I'm like, wait a minute. I know something. like You see? And then it opened up my mind to reading. Yeah. And then so I said, wait a minute, mama, this is good. So she kept giving me those type of books and she saw that I was reading. So when it comes down into the way Mm -hmm. that I write, I write the way that I speak, but it's not the way that I talk to myself. It's what I want my reader to understand. Mm -hmm. So as you know, when it comes down to communication, it's two way, but then it's also you double that's four ways because in my mind, I know what I want to say, but then I have to connect my mind with my mouth to make sure I articulate myself correctly. Sure. So then now you need to make sure that mm-hmm. you understand me and that's then right. you have an opportunity to let me know that you understand. Mm-hmm. So let me write the way that I want to connect because I see what moves me. Let what moves me move you. Yeah. They, um, uh, they said that we we were brought up believing that literacy was reading and writing, mm-hmm. right? That you could you had to be able to read and you needed to be able to write. Mm-hmm. Um, modern language and, and uh, language arts teachers understand that literacy is the four things that you've mm-hmm. identified. Yes, it's reading, it's writing, it's also understanding and speaking. That's right. Right? And it, we have to do all of those mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. right? And quite often... Um, learners, thinkers are stronger in some areas than others. Mm -hmm. Our schools typically will just focus on writing. That's right. Or just focus on reading. Correct. And ignore the, the, the speaking and the understanding. Absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's our responsibility to continue to embrace the full person and to leverage one piece to accentuate the other. That's it. I loved speaking. Mm-hmm. I, I grew up with with preachers and really articulate people, and I loved language. Mm-hmm. The idea that Mr. McGarry, my first chess coach, knew everything about everything. Mm-hmm. You know, he could, he would take us on these to these chess tournaments, but hours before the chess tournament, we'd arrive in these cities, and he'd take us on tours of the city into the history museums and art museums and he he knew everything about this stuff and I thought that was amazing man mm-hmm. I would listen intently and then go and repeat everything he said to my parents and my brothers and sisters right there we go say say hey this is the stuff that I knew I was smart but I couldn't read very well see right mm-hmm. and people would they'd be surprised to hear me say that I just I was a struggling reader mm-hmm. but just like you I had an aha moment mm-hmm. in my reading 
None of the stuff I wrote and in, in, read in, in elementary school and middle school jumped <laughs> off the pages mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. It was I had two things that I that I read that helped me understand what reading was. Mm-hmm. The first was my my older brother was reading a, a book um, called Black Boy, mm-hmm. uh, and that I, I picked up this book and I started. He I wanted to be like my brother, and so I picked up this book and started looking through the pages, and when. Uh, I looked through these pages, his description, the writer's uh, description of his grandmother's house catching fire. I saw it, Mm -hmm. the plastic on the furniture. Mm -hmm. My grandma had plastic on her furniture. We grew up with that, Mm -hmm. the curtains, Mm -hmm. all of this stuff. Man, the the electrical socket that had all these things plugged into it. That was my Mm -hmm. reality, I could see that, Mm -hmm. right? And so when that house went up in flames, I felt it. There you go. And I realized before I knew it, I was turning pages there you go. in that book and it made sense There you to go. Me. For the first time I could, the words jumped off the page. That's it. I said, this is real reading. Yes, sir. The other time it happens when I found my my father's uh, dirty magazine. Mm, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the, right. the, the books were uh, these mm-hmm. were, these were magazines. Mm-hmm. These were actually books with str- really vivid descriptions. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, I get you. I of, get you. Adult material, of course. Yeah. Real page turners. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. I, could, I was like, oh, I can see all of right. that. You right. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But we have to put p- thing, pieces of literature in front of people, young people in particular, that help reading come alive i believe that and so man thank you for your book no thank doubt. you for that man mm-hmm. I, it's it's great to hear uh your voice in the literature mm-hmm. right to be able to put it in front of folks to be able to see absolutely and i think it's so important to your point to make sure that we're communicating what's relevant to us to our readers yeah. or our listeners yeah. i know you can understand a child's playing uh, their thoughts i know you can understand having your own space this is my man cave what are you doing i know you can understand wait a minute that makes sense it i didn't get it until then i know you can understand that so how do i put that in words that would jump out and that has been my mission yeah especially if an individual is not able to read it they don't have time let me get an opportunity to talk to you and tell you All right. how you just may be watering a plastic plant. But thank you, brother. I'm going, I'm going to take my book. Oh, yeah. That's mine. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> likewise. It's great, yes, sir. It's good to be with you. Yes, sir. Man, I, I hope we can have this dialogue again and get some, uh, some other stuff on the table. Man, there's so many things that I want to share with you, uh, things that we just need to talk yes. about. Um, read about and have some discussion about. Man. Absolutely. Uh, so thanks for being with us. Uh, man, I never, ever, ever <laughs> wanted to be famous. I just wanted mm-hmm. to be great. That's right. Um, so uh, we wish you uh, well and uh, all of those folks continue to, to tune in and be a part of these wonderful conversations. Thanks for being with us. And thanks, Chris, for a wonderful podcast. Right on. See you in a minute. Sir. All right, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Seth Miller. You can find me on LinkedIn at Seth a miller or on facebook instagram the seth the speaker and the book is named the black collar mindset the art of strategic thinking you can find it on amazon or you can get your autographed copy at the black collar mindset.com thank you <laughs>